right, good morning and welcome to our first service on Sunday morning. We have two, the first of which is our weekly Bible prophecy update, and the second, which is actually the sermon. And we're currently going through Hebrews, almost done with the book of Hebrews. And today it'll be live streamed at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. We're going to look at how it is that we as a church body, keyword, can prevent church conflict and avoid the needless and unnecessary damage that it always causes. So that'll be at 11.15 today. For those of you that are watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to go directly to the website jdfarag.org. There you will find the uninterrupted and uncensored entirety of today's update. So let's get started. You ready? Should we bow our heads and close our eyes? You can slip out now while you can. Okay, good. All right. So for today's update, I want to talk with you about trusting God like never before. With everything that is happening now, what's now happening in the world today, well, it's the likes of which we've never seen before. Would you agree? And it's also likely the likes of which we will never see again. I suppose you could sum it up this way. We must trust in the Lord like never before, by virtue of how the deception and the confusion today is like never before. Never seen anything like this. Never before have we as God's people been in a situation like what we are in today. And never before have we had to trust in the Lord in our lives. <laughs> now, I'm keenly aware that any mention of simply trusting in the Lord can be seen as canned, maybe even cliche, especially to those who are really struggling. So what I want to do is explain why it is and how it is that we can trust in the Lord. The Lord has promised us that He, as only He can, will see us through for His glory and our good. I know this isn't proper English, but He can't not. Don't email me. I know that's not a proper sentence structure. But He can't not. That's inconsistent, incompatible with who God is and how God is. If God has made a promise, God is going to make good on that promise. God cannot not keep His promise. One has counted upwards of over 3,000 promises in the Word of God. 
That's a lot of promises. And every single one of them are God's Word. Now when we say it like that, it brings up how we say to one another, I will give you my word. Well, okay, that's fine. <laughs> you better not go back on it. Just because somebody gives you their word, there's no guarantees that they're going to keep their word. Because oftentimes, isn't it true that they go back on their word? Not God. God has given us His Word, and He will do it. He has given us His promises, and they are sure and amen. Done deal. If you'll hang in there with me, I want to talk about this, but also I want to address some serious concerns, specifically, practically, and more importantly, biblically. So let's start with the why, namely that of why we must trust in the Lord like never before in our lives, for our lives. The answer to the why question is this. Jesus is returning for us to take us to the place He prepared for us in the pre-tribulation rapture. That's why. All right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> wow, Pastor, there you go again. That's all you talk about, I know. <laughs> There's a reason for that. As we've talked about in the past, it's our only hope. And, and by the way, think about it like this. When it comes to the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, um, we're trusting, think this through with me, okay? We're trusting in the Lord when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, we're trusting the Lord that we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. We're trusting God for that, but we can't trust God for this or that. I mean, think about that. We're trusting God for that. That's pretty big. But we can't trust God with our daily lives, yet we're trusting God for our eternal lives. Does that make any sense? So, again, bear with me, hang in there with me. I'm, I'm going to do the best I can here. Um, do you know that when Jesus talked about the rapture, wait, Jesus talked about the rapture? Yes. In fact, not only did Jesus 
talk about and teach on the rapture, he was the first one, appropriately so, to do so. Do you know where it's recorded? It's recorded in John's Gospel, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 3. But I think I would be grossly remiss if I did not at least kind of set this up, so you have kind of an idea of the context of it, the backstory, so you know what's going on here. Jesus has just got done telling His disciples that He has to go now. You do? Yeah. Why? Because I have to go so I can come back. And by the way, I'm going to go, and I have to go, and if I don't go, then I can't send you the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but we're not going to have Jesus with us anymore. No, you're not going to have Jesus with you, but you're going to have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, these first words in verse 1 of John 14 are key. And we know them maybe too well, and whenever we read them or hear them, we just kind of move on. Let's not do that. Because Jesus tells them, do not let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> Why would He say that? Because their hearts were troubled? Why were their hearts troubled? because He just got done telling them that He's no longer going to continue to be with them, that He's going to leave them, and they were greatly disturbed. In fact, in the original language, this word for, pardon me, troubled, carries with it the idea of being agitated. Not like irritated, but agitated like um, the washing machine. <laughs> it, it, it agitates. In fact, the old washing machines, some of you will remember, you young people have no clue, but whatever. They actually had it called, they labeled it the agitation cycle. I don't like that word agitation. <laughs> I don't want to be agitated, or troubled, or disturbed. But no, the agitation is what cleans the clothes. This is what they were feeling. They were greatly troubled, greatly agitated, greatly concerned, greatly disturbed. And now Jesus wants to calm them down, and settle them down, and explain to them that He has to go, and why He has to go. And that actually they want Him to go if they only knew why He was going. In fact, when you get to the end of John's Gospel, chapter 14, He says it again, do not let, which is an interesting word, by the way, because it implies that we have the propensity to let our hearts be troubled. We give our hearts permission to be troubled and agitated and concerned and disturbed and upset, and you can just fill in all the blanks. Turmoil, in turmoil. Fear in fear. And He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
I have come to give you peace, not turmoil. And by the way, this peace that I give you is not the peace that the world gives you. The peace that I give you is not predicated upon what's happening in your life as terrifying and difficult as it is. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not give your hearts permission to be troubled. And now he's going to explain why. You believe in God? Yeah. Believe also in me. You trust in God? Yeah. Trust also in me. My father's house, verse 2, has many rooms. Some of your translations render it mansions or dwelling places. And then he says, if that were not so, and this is a rhetorical question, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you. Oh, you're going you're gonna to come back and take us? Oh. When? And where? Well, we have the where question answered. I'm going to take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Oh, okay. That settles me. That calms me. That gives me peace instead of turmoil. And I'm not going to let my heart be troubled, because now I have this hope that you've gone to prepare a place for me, and you've gone to prepare that place for me in your father's house, a bridal chamber by the way, to consummate and celebrate our marriage to the Lamb. And at the time, the day or the hour, no one knows, I'm going to come back for you and take you. I'm not going to come back and stay with you. I'm going to come back and take you to be where I am, that where you are, I will be also. It's not doublespeak. That's very clear and detailed for a reason, because what he's saying is, I'm coming to take you out of this world. Trust me. Trust in me. You believe in God, you believe in me also. You trust God, you trust me also. I will do this. Okay, we're good. You good? That wasn't very convincing, so. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. That's all fine and dandy and everything, but we still have a problem because he hasn't come back yet. And I'm looking <laughs> at what's happening in the world, and I'm letting my heart get troubled again. Okay. This brings us to the how. Specifically, as it relates to 
trusting in the Lord like never before until that glorious day soon and very soon when the trumpet sounds and He takes us out of this world as He promised He would. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. I know you've never heard of this passage before, right? May I, as I read this, trouble you to hear and follow along with me through a clear lens, almost as if you were hearing this powerful promise for the first time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths, or as some of your translations better render it, He will make your path straight. Now I realize this is a well-known scripture, but the truth of the matter is it provides us with a very powerful and practical template. And by that I mean this promise can be superimposed on any and all situations we face, no matter how confusing and terrifying they are. And they are confusing and they are terrifying and they're getting more confusing and more terrifying seemingly with each passing day. I'll take it a step further and suggest that Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, though very well known, is a word perfectly and fitly spoken for precisely where we're at in our lives today. We're at that place where the disciples were at when their hearts were troubled. They were very concerned. And Jesus seeks to calm them and settle them in His promise to them. And like with them, so too is this true for us now. He wants to settle our hearts. He wants to calm us down and remind us of that which He has promised us. Yes, I am coming to take you out. But what, I'm not going to take care of you until I do? That's not who I am. Lord, it's, uh, it's getting pretty serious right now. I know. But I promised you that if you will trust in me with all of your heart, and by the way, when is it that we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways? Is it not when we don't understand? That propels us to Him. And that's the best place to be. I think you would agree that this promise from the Lord to make our paths straight, or perhaps better said, straighten it out, comes at the perfect time in human history. 
especially at a time when there's so much we don't understand and can't figure out. And even if we did have understanding, we couldn't lean on that understanding. And that's a good thing, even a God thing, such that when we face serious concerns and can't lean on our understanding, we have to trust the Lord. We have to acknowledge the Lord. I think about just if I lean on this pulpit, I'm, I'm leaning on it, relying upon it. Well, what God is saying here is, it, it's not that you don't have understanding, just don't rely on it. Don't lean on it. Lean on me. Don't trust in it. Trust in me with all your heart, not half-hearted, all your heart, all your ways, acknowledge me. This is a, I guess you could put it into the category of a conditional promise. We're going to see this a little bit later on here. It's actually three and one, and I'll explain. There's three things here prerequisites, if you will. Number one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Number two, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. And number three, don't lean on your own understanding. Now, if those three are done and those prerequisites met, then what God has promised to do is then direct our path, straighten out the mess make our paths straight. That's the promise, but it's conditional. So here we are. <laughs> um, maybe I'll just speak for myself, but I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and I don't remember a time in my life where I've, those things that I thought I understood, maybe leaned on them. Not anymore. I, I've never known a time in my walk with the Lord that things have been like they are right now, which is why this promise comes to the forefront. And that's what it is, is a promise. God has promised us that He will straighten out the path for us, as He directs us. Absent God doing this for us and instead of us, hear me out, it's doubtful that we will bode well with what's not only coming, but really already happening as we speak. It's for this reason that I sense the Holy Spirit prompting me to talk about this today. I'm doing so with the hope that it will be an encouragement to you, as God has encouraged me 
I think about the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth about comforting others with the comfort that you yourself received when you were going through a similar situation. We comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves were on the receiving end of from the Lord. So we received the comfort from the Lord, and then with that comfort that we received from the Lord, we also comfort others. That encouragement we receive from the Lord, we can also with that encouragement encourage others. I think about David encouraging himself in the Lord. <laughs> so I hope this will be an encouragement to you. If you'll kindly allow me to, I want to, for the remainder of our time, take and tackle some of the tough, <laughs> aforementioned, serious concerns. I want to be very specific and practical, but more importantly, biblical. And in order to do that, we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. Okay. What follows, in no particular order, are five, there are more certainly, but five very serious situations that many brothers and sisters in Christ are dealing with currently. This is what we as a church are dealing with. This is what I as a pastor am dealing with. And so I want to just kind of roll up our arm sleeves. We don't wear long sleeves in Hawaii. Of course, this time of year it's, oh, for, for the locals, it's so cold. It's in the 70s. Oh, where's the coat? Those of you on the mainland have no idea what it's like over here. <laughs> if it's, it drops into the 70s, high 60s, I don't think we, have we hit the high 60s yet? Oh, I shouldn't probably even say that. Everybody's like, are you kidding me right now? We got 25 feet of snow and it's 40 below. And anyway, I digress. <laughs> So we're going to roll up our arm sleeves. The first one, it has to do with a loved one that's in the hospital clinging to life. What about that? Okay, I want to be, again, as practical as I possibly can. And I want to encourage you, this is very real, and this is really happening. And doubtless there are some of you here today or watching online that are in this situation. Somebody's in the hospital, very sick, clinging to life. Just by way of a, a practical reminder, the days of our lives, the day of our birth, and the day of our death are in the hands of the Lord. Let me say the same thing in a different way. God will have the final word. We will never leave this world one second sooner than when it's time. And God knows when that time is. For some, it's sooner than we want or would have expected. 
Recently, we uh, got the heartbreaking news that Pastor Ray Bentley of Maranatha Chapel in San Diego went home to be with the Lord. I, I stand before you today as one who does not have the answer as to why, why. And maybe we'll never know why this side of heaven. The one thing that I always have to remind myself of is that that loved one who goes to be with the Lord, if they were given the option, hypothetically, to where they could actually come back, don't take this personally, they would not. No, for real. They would not want to come back. I mean, my goodness, they're absent from the body present with the Lord. And you want me to come back? Uh-uh. <laughs> I want you to come up here. I don't want to go back there. I'll tell you, that has really helped me over the years. We've had a lot of people in this precious church that have gone home to be with the Lord. And there were so many times where I just really struggled with, why Lord, why? But God. And here's the thing, and I want to draw your attention to Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is writing and says, For I am convinced, there's no question about this, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation <laughs> will be able to separate us, listen, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When our daughter Noel died, the Lord really ministered to me that no matter how bad it is, no matter how hard it is, it cannot and will never change how good God is. Nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you. No death can do that. Death or life, nothing created, height or depth, angels or demons, nothing can separate you. Why is that important? Because when this this happens, there's always that question, 
questioning the goodness of God and the love of God. And at a time like this, you have to be convinced that God's love for you never changes. In fact, if anything, He's closer to the brokenhearted. It's not so much that He loves you more. I mean, He loves you with a, a perfect love, agape love, unconditional love. But you have to be settled in that, because if you start questioning that, you start thinking that maybe God is not good, God is not love. And if that happens, it's just a matter of time. One last thing on this, we'll move on. If you have somebody that is just clinging on to life, you need to trust the Lord like never before. How do you know that God isn't going to do a miracle? And by the way, I have a miracle I want to share with you today at the end. Um, God's a God of miracles. He's the great physician, the God who heals. You trust the Lord. You trust the Lord like never before. Number two, I've lost my livelihood and am in financial need. Again, very real, very serious. Um, I want to share with you two of many, and that when I say many, I mean the Scripture is replete with one promise after another about how God will always provide your every need. That's just a given. That's not, not, not even a question, okay? But I want to, again, very practically encourage you in this regard. God will provide. It's not a matter of will He provide, it's how will He provide, and when, and the way. How do you know that God isn't going to provide from an unseen treasury that you have no idea of? And it will always be for His glory. But He will provide. Well, He better get going, because <laughs> the rents do. I don't have it. Trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord like never before, with all of your heart. You'll see. Again, I, you'll forgive my reference again to my daughter Noel, but I think this is the Lord that I would share this. And actually another um, example with the building that we're, <laughs> we're in. So when our daughter Noel was dying, you know, the medical bills were piling up. And I just remember getting in the mail this bill for this amount. Of course, I didn't have it. So I just laid it out to the Lord, acknowledged the Lord, put my trust in the Lord, <laughs> and uh, said, Lord, I, 
I know you always provide. I've never been disappointed. Nobody who ever puts their trust in the Lord will ever be let down. That's impossible. Impossible, I tell you. That's not hyperbole. It is literally impossible. If you put your trust in the Lord, you will never be disappointed. You will never be let down. So Lord, I've trusted you all my life. I know you're going to provide. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know when. Right now would be good. Um, but I know you're going to provide. But please, Lord, I don't have the money to pay this. The very next day I go out to the mailbox, there is a money order, anonymous, an anonymous money order for the exact amount of that bill. I'm like, thank you, Lord. That's just who you are, Lord. Oh, you're so good. Always provides. So many times when we were renovating this building, and, and I mean the <laughs> payables are piling up, and I'm looking at our bank account, and I'm looking at the payables, and I'm like, <laughs> Lord, you got some bills for your church here. You don't have any money in the account. I tell you, God always provided everything we needed. It wasn't in the way I thought, or when I thought, but He always provided. He will provide. He will provide. Matthew 6, actually verses 19 through 34, but I'll just read verses 31 through 33. Again, I know this is a well-known passage, but may I just trouble you to kind of hear it and see it through a new lens. Jesus is speaking, and He says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, you have nothing to worry about. Yeah, but I don't have food in the fridge, money in the bank. <laughs> Uh, you have a Heavenly Father who knows that there's no food in the fridge and money in the bank. And by the way, it's not that we have to uh, tell God about our situation, because He's all-knowing. He already knows about the situation. Could you imagine what that would be like if you said, Lord, um, I don't have any money uh, in the bank? You don't. When, when did this, really? When, when did this happen? Why don't you tell me sooner? <laughs> I know that's weird, but we think like that, right? Like God doesn't know. God, I don't have any money in the bank. I know. I, I have to pay my bills. I know, I know. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need your bills paid. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need food in the fridge. Because there's no food on the shelves. It better be someplace, right? Sorry. <laughs> That's not really funny, actually. <laughs> I 
God's going to provide. He's promised you, right? So he can't go back on his word. He's given us his word. So he can't go back on his word. So what are you worried about? He will provide. He will provide. Psalm 37 verse 25, a favorite of many for what I think would be deemed obvious reasons. The sweet psalmist of Israel, David is writing by the Holy Spirit and he says, I was young and now I'm old. Don't you just love it when uh, older people say, you know, I was your age one time. I was young. And try to remind my kids that I was young once, once upon a time. I show them the pictures too, when I was young and had hair and it wasn't gray. I was young and now I'm old. In other words, I've been around the block. I've seen a few things over my time. But I'll tell you one thing I've never seen in all of my years, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Never seen it. And I never will. God will provide. Yeah, but pastor, with all due respect, um, I need help financially. Okay. A couple of thoughts real quick and we'll move on. Sometimes it will come from a brother and sister in the church, or sometimes it'll come from the church. What do you mean? Well, we're a body of believers. Again, we're going to talk about this in our Hebrew study, second service. But isn't that what a healthy body does? When one part of the body needs help, doesn't the whole body come to its aid? I think again about what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians about, <laughs> all, we're all different parts of the same body. And so I, I always think about it in terms of uh, when I, which I should never do, I should never have tools in my hand. It's criminal because I, that's not my gifting. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm trying to hammer a nail in. I, I, it's me. I know it's me. But that nail ain't going in. And that hammer ain't hitting that nail. That hammer's hitting my thumb. I got the scars to prove it. So I hit my thumb with that hammer. What does my body do? Oh, it's okay. Starts kissing on it, loving on it, comforting it, rubbing it, praying for it. Oh, Lord, please, you know, <laughs> the thumb is in need. And doesn't the whole body feel it? My whole body feels it. I mean, my, my thumb hurts, my toes going, hey, what was that? I'm, okay, that's second service. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. We are all part of the body of Christ. You see your brother or sister in need, do not say to them, as James says, oh, hey, be warm, be well fed. We'll do lunch sometimes. Ooh. How do you know that God isn't going to provide in a way that you would have never thought through someone you would have never thought. In fact, you would have never chosen them to be the ones that God would use to provide. But it's for His glory. It's all for His glory. All right, this one's a tough one. Of course, they're all tough, but <laughs> how about this one? My church is promoting or requiring the injection. 
get out. No, I'm serious. I, I say that in love. But the strength with which I say it is, get out of that church as fast as you can, as far as you can. Find another church. Oh, that's easier said than done, Pastor. Easy for you to say. You have the most amazing church in the world. I know. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's, you know, but I do. <laughs> but anyway, that's another topic for another time. But no, I'm serious. I do have the, the most amazing, loving church in the world, in the world. Um, the problem is, if you're on the mainland, you can't drive here. So uh, what do you do? And there's not a church that you can go to. Start up a church in your house. Start a home fellowship. You know, that's how this church started, was just a little Bible study. You never know what God's going to do. This is Acts chapter 2. Every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you cannot find a church, then wherever there are two or more that are gathered in the name of Jesus, Jesus is there. You have a church. That's church. Two or more. And just go through the Word. Partake together of communion as a home fellowship. I know many are using our videos. That's their, that's their church. And they have people come over. I'm so sorry about that. By the way, you poor people have to watch me every week. But that's church. That's church. You know, I, I need to say this, but uh, I don't want to say it. But I tell the staff and the board that we had better hold on loosely to all of this, because we don't know. We don't know. Our brothers and sisters in Canada, by the way, they're all underground now. Those beautiful church buildings, uh, fenced up, locked down, shut down, they've gone underground. Oh, that can't happen here. Hold on loosely. Hold on loosely. Okay, number four. This is hard. I've been rejected by family and friends for not being injected. By the way, parenthetically, let me say that I'm using the word injected in lieu of the word jabbed for a reason. Because jab just sounds, you know, kind of, ah, it's just a jab. I will never call it a vaccine. It is an injection, an injection. They are injecting people with whatever's in this thing. And 
This is so sad because many who have not been injected, who refuse to be injected, are being rejected by those who have. Family, friends, and so forth. If you had any idea how many emails we are on the receiving end of from people that are just heartbroken over this. Well, I want to encourage you. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. Jesus is speaking. He says, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And then he says this, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Well, you fast forward nine chapters later, and apparently this is exactly what had happened. And I'm so thankful for Peter. Leave it to Peter, who would ask the question that I would want answered. And so he asked Jesus this question. Peter answered him, Matthew 19, verse 27, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? This is Jesus' answer. Listen to this. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And verse 29, this is us. Everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. Wow, hundred? Where do I sign? You don't have to, he already did. One last thing on this, and we'll move on to the last one. And this, this is important. And I want to say this. Um, well, just please hear my heart. I, I hope I'm not, and the Lord knows my heart. I, I, I never want to be um, rude or mean. I certainly don't want to be mean. <laughs> I used to be mean, by the way. <laughs> But God has been doing a deep work in my life over the years. Uh, you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to follow Jesus? You, and if you have made that decision, then you're, you're going to also be at the same time making the decision to leave them behind, if you're going to follow Jesus. It really is a counting of the cost, which is, you'd be hard pressed to find a church, thankfully, a, a church that preaches the whole counsel of God, the whole Word of God. You're going to get it, but you won't hear it very often, if at all that there is a cost to following Jesus. 
And especially in that day when they made the decision to follow Jesus, it cost them everything. Their jobs, their families disowned them. And they couldn't even get a job because they were a Christian now. That's why it is, by the way, we even have the account that we have in the book of Acts about how they would help each other and share with one another from their belongings. They lost their houses, they lost their cars. They didn't have cars, but they lost their cars. <laughs> they lost everything. But they counted the cost, and they picked up their cross, and they died to themselves to follow Jesus. I love that hymn. I love that hymn. I love that hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. I've decided to follow Jesus. Last one, number five. I am filled with fear and anxiety concerning the future. Very real. <laughs> and I've been very open over the years, very transparent about my own struggles with anxiety and fear. <laughs> I'm, I'm walking in victory. But if you're here today or watching online and you're filled with fear and riddled with anxiety, you're actually in pretty good company. You're in good company with a lot of men and women of God throughout the pages of Holy Writ that were so full of fear, so filled with anxiety. Again, I have actually for me, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, this is that other three in one deal. I'm, I'm sorry to say it like that. But this is how God has given me the victory in my life over fear and anxiety. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, be anxious for nothing. Do not have anxiety for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. This is that peace that Jesus talked about in John 14. It's not as the world gives. This transcends human understanding. It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Did you catch the three in the one here? It's like Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. So what are the three? Okay. Thank God for anything. Pray about everything, and you'll worry about no thing. That's the three. Thank God for anything. Anything you can think of, and by the way, the word thank comes from the word think. 
Whatever you can think of, thank God for it. Thank God for anything. Pray about everything. Everything? Yeah, everything. If you will thank God for anything and pray about everything, you will worry about nothing. Why? Because God is going to give you that peace that transcends human understanding. It bypasses the mind and keeps the heart at peace. It guards the heart. Picture a guard set up around the heart. So here comes fear knocking on the door. Here's the guard going, what are you doing here? Get out of here. What are you? Well, who are you? I'm the guard. Peace is my name. No fear here. Get out. That's what the peace of God that transcends human understanding does. You know, for me, there were times where, again, I'm being very transparent with you, for some maybe too, too uncomfortable, but whatever. Um, there have been times where, I mean, it has been so intense that I've done it out loud, where I've just thanked God for anything. God, thank you. Well, thank you for my fingers <laughs> and my hands that I can raise to you. Thank you for my legs that I can stand on, and my feet. I don't like feet, but thank you for my feet. Very important part of the body. Again, we're going to talk about that second service. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my church. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And then, and then you start praying. It's in the original language, it carries with it the idea of a petition, a list. You're petitioning the throne. Make your requests known. Petition the throne. So with, with everything, everything? Yeah, I don't know about that. No, no. Put it on the list. Yeah, but everything? Everything. Okay. Parking lot at Costco E.V. Lay. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, put it on there. Pray about everything. Thank God for anything. And you will worry about no thing. I testify before you today <laughs> that this works, and it worked in my life and whenever those anxious thoughts come, and they come, they still come, they still come knocking on the door. I'm like, ah, I was expecting you. Well, you don't give up, do you? No. Fear and anxiety are very tenacious. And the thoughts of fear still come a knocking. But God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a disciplined mind, which by the way, verse 8 is about what we allow into the mind. Think on these things, whatsoever things are pure and of a good report and so forth. So you know how we discipline our children? We need to discipline our mind. You gonna let your mind get away with that? So here comes this uh, seed of doubt and fear that is, you know, planted in your mind. You just let it in. And you, you know, start entertaining it. 
And that, and that, here's what it sounds like, just real quick on this, because maybe this is for somebody here or watching online, very important. Here's what it sounds like. What if, and you fill in the blank, and that, that spirit of fear will take you down the what if road just as far as you'll let it. What if, what about, oh, I never thought about it. Well, you better be thinking about that. It could happen, you know, oh no. Next thing you know, you're just, you're paralyzed in fear. But you say, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm going to discipline my mind. I'm going to give my mind a good spanking <laughs> and discipline it and take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. Uh, no, you don't. No entrance. You're not coming in here. You are not welcome here, because I have the peace of God that is guarding my heart and my mind, both. Okay, here's the bottom line. I appreciate your patience. We're almost done. Jeremiah 29.11. I just thought of this, actually. Another life verse for many. You know it so well, right? The Lord declares through the prophet Jeremiah that, I know my plans, the plans that I have for you. They're not plans to harm you or hurt you, but plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. That is the bottom line for us as Christians. It's our future and hope in the imminent return of Jesus Christ in the rapture of the church. You be encouraged. You be encouraged. If it gets worse between now and the rapture, and it very likely could, as it even now is, God has promised you that He will take care of you. He will never leave you nor will He ever forsake you. He will always provide for you. Yeah, I know you don't understand. I know you, you question it, and you're struggling with it. But even if God could tell you and answer all your why questions, you wouldn't be able to fathom it. How can infinite pour into finite? It's impossible you're only going to have more why questions. <laughs> like when your kids are little, right, they ask you, why is the sky blue? Well, because that's God's favorite color. Why is blue God's favorite color? Because, um, um, why, 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 ay, 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 just more why questions. Well, there's coming a time very soon, soon and very soon, no more why questions. Oh, oh Lord, if I would have only known that then, what I know now, oh, here's the Lord going, I tried to tell you, I tried to tell you. One last thing. I haven't said one last thing yet. 
Okay, if I have, here's the last, last thing then. God loves you so much, you have no idea. You cannot possibly fathom the love that God has for you. He has even the hairs on your head counted. He will never allow anything to happen to you unless ultimately in the end it's for your good and His glory. He will only allow something to happen in your life, as difficult and painful as it is, because ultimately in the end it's for your good and His glory. Let not your heart be troubled. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I want to uh, end, as we always do, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ABCs of salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's childlike, simple. It's as simple as ABC. It's actually simpler than ABC. It's actually as simple as B. The A, which leads to the B, is for admit or acknowledge that you've sinned and are in need of the Savior. This is Romans 3.10. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned, all have sinned. We were all born sinners, which is why we must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So now there's a penalty for that sin, and all have sinned. And the penalty for the sin is death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the A, here's the B. And this is so simple. It's as simple as believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. As Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will, will be saved. And lastly, the C is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, Romans 10.13 seals the deal. All, all who call upon the name of the Lord will, will be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. I want to share with you today's But God testimony, which is an absolute miracle. It comes from Donna, who writes, Hi, Pastor J.D. I'm writing about my son-in-law, who had been admitted to the hospital a few weeks back with COVID. I wrote these notes down during that time, because I knew God would answer. He is so faithful. These are the order of events in which they happen. 
After a few days of being short of breath from COVID, on Friday, DJ, my son-in-law, was admitted to the hospital on eight liters of oxygen, 86% saturation. After his admittance, I committed myself to fast and pray in the hospital parking lot until he recovered. I knew his battle would be tough because of various health issues he was facing. Saturday morning I went to the hospital to fast and pray in the parking lot. I started to meditate on the Word and just read and cried and read and cried. A verse popped out at me that brought me great comfort. I knew it was the Lord telling me that DJ would be okay. I cried some more in hopeful expectation. This verse was 2 Corinthians 6, 9, as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed. Saturday night comes and he's now on nine liters. We were told Saturday night after checking with the nurse that his stats were good, so they would try to bring him back down to eight liters in the night watch. Sunday morning. We called and he's now on 16 liters. Oxygen is worse and his respirations are too fast. He's hyperventilating uncontrollably. I'm sitting in the car in the hospital parking lot watching Pastor JD's sermon when worship comes on for the first time. I am brought to tears because I have been wanting that for so long, for Pastor JD's sermons to include worship. I knew God was comforting me even in this. After the sermon, I asked the Lord for the impossible. In the sermon, Pastor J.D. challenges listeners to ask God for the impossible. So I asked God for what seemed impossible at that time, that my son-in-law would be healed overnight. I then continued to fast and pray. Monday morning comes. I'm in the parking lot, continuing to fast and pray. I stay usually for four to five hours. Wow. It's now Monday night and his respirations are worse, 40 per minute. And he's up to 21 liters of oxygen. I keep praying and reminding myself of the verse the Lord showed me. We call the nurse and ask if they're taking blood to monitor his liver function. She checked and said yes, and that everything looks good, and that his liver function was actually really good. She was almost surprised, but he seems to be getting worse, not better. I pray into the night. By Tuesday morning, we received what appeared to be a miracle. He went down drastically to four liters overnight, reversing the course he was on, and respirations cut in half, 22 per minute. We couldn't believe it, and asked the nurse four times if they were sure. She said yes, as she rejoiced with us, almost in a state of surprise herself. I continued to fast and pray Wednesday and Thursday, and he was finally released from the hospital on Friday. Even though he was released with oxygen, the complete turn of events that took place in the hospital overnight was overwhelmingly joyous. I can only thank God for His faithfulness in hearing our prayers and meeting us in our time of great need. Bonus, in the process, my son-in-law's dad, who also was sick with COVID, gave his heart to Christ on Saturday. This, yes, <laughs> I'm telling you, our good and His glory. This in itself was truly a miracle. 
the Lord did the impossible and then some. He is truly faithful and worthy of all our trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Please stand, we'll close in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. Loving Heavenly Father, we're just so in awe of you and overwhelmed by you. Lord, you are worthy of all of our praise. And all of our trust with all of our heart. Lord, before the worship team closes us in song, I would just ask that as only you can that you, by the Holy Spirit, would just minister comfort and encouragement and strength to the hearts of those that are really hurting and struggling right now, many of whom are dealing with the things that we talked about today, some of whom are maybe dealing with all of them and then some. Lord, please, we are truly desperate for you. You're our only hope, Jesus. You're our only hope. Please, Lord. Lord, will you come quickly? Maranatha, in Jesus' name.